Mailboxes can be used in a variety of ways. You can go to your mailbox and you can send something. You can put a package in, a piece of mail, and then your mailman or mailwoman comes up, opens the door, puts the red flag down, and then sends this package, sends this piece of mail somewhere else. Mailbox can also be used in this form to receive something. And sometimes we go to the mailbox regularly to see packages, to see letters, um, bills, but we get something from the mailbox. So a mailbox can be used to send and to receive something. It also is used to receive packages that we go online to purchase. A lot of my purchasing happens online. A lot of it does for my my children and for my wife. We go online and we find the best price. We look for the promotion codes, coupons. Um, We compare, we contrast. And then we go to the site and we say, this is where I want to order. So we place the order, place it through PayPal or a credit card. And then it is confirmed. You hit confirmation and then immediately... You use an email, back to your email comes this reply that says, you've purchased this product from us. And often what they'll do when they do that, they'll send another email to you, first for confirmation, second, that you can track the package. It's fun to track a package, isn't it? I mean, if you're really looking for that package, it's like you've been saving for this thing, you want it, you've compared, it's like finally is the time to buy. And so it gives you a tracking bar that you click on with your cursor. And so you click on it and then you can see where your package has left from, what time it left from, where it's at and where it needs to be. It needs to get in your box. And so you track it. So day after day you go and you see how much closer it is. And if it's something that you really want, you get anxious about it. You get more excited about it and you begin to do the math. That means it's going to show up on this day. It leaves Texas and, and it's in Indy. You know, it's coming tomorrow. It's, it's going to be there. And so you hit it. It left the, the purchasing place at this time. It got shipped here and it begins to arrive. Now you get anxious about it. And then often we get disappointed because sometimes it gets sent through FedEx. And if it's more expensive, They need a signature, and you go to your door after being away all day, and there's that sticker on your door that says, I was here, but you weren't. Don't you just despise those things, by the way? Just drop the package. Come on. Anyhow, you're anxious for this package to come. You're anxious because it's bringing you good news. It's something that you want, something that you've purchased, something that's good for you. And so you're hopeful that finally it gets there. And then you have those times when you order something and then you're anxious that it comes, you're hopeful, and then it doesn't show up. And then you got to go back through all your emails that you deleted through in the trash and try to find that thing that you ordered. And, and I've been there, done that, and probably would do it again. It's like, I got to go back. I ordered this. And you got to go through the customer service. And something like it takes forever. And you're disappointed. But when you get something that you really want, that you've been hopeful about, it fills you up with joy. Hope comes in a variety of ways. People need hope, but we need to kind of hope, not hoping it'll happen, but hope that it will happen. Every once in a while, we get hope through an unusual source when we least 
expected it. And when it comes, we never forget it. Take a look at how this hope was sent to someone. receive that kind of hope, you never forget it, especially speaks to me because that was done in Thailand and we have Asia's hope and our kids have received hope, received it and they will send it on. You never forget when you receive hope like that. While that is just incredible, there's another hope that many of us in this room and in the link and across our world via the internet have received. It's called eternal hope. <laughs> and it's in Jesus Christ. It's the kind of hope that you can't buy. It's the kind of hope that, that never fades. It's the kind of hope that never disappoints. It's the kind of hope that we go to in times of distress and trouble and tragedy. 
It's the kind of hope that never leaves us nor forsakes us. It's the kind of hope that will be with us till the end. It's the kind of hope that, that gives us what we need to press on daily. It's hope in Jesus Christ. My hope is this, that that, that hope from Christ that's been given to us, that resides in us through the Holy Spirit, wouldn't stop with us. That, that we wouldn't just be those who go to the box and, and receive it. I got this hope. Praise God for this hope that I got. It was sent to me. The Father sent his Son, and, and I took this free gift, and now I have. My hope is this, that, that it doesn't stop here. That we take it and, and we put our red flags up and we witness and, and we send it on to others. What good is good news if we don't share it? So many of us are recipients of just incredible hope. Day after day, we arise from our beds, week after week, month after month, year after year. We have this eternal hope that never disappoints. And yet we have a world that has yet to receive this hope, that's longing to have hope in their hopelessness. My hope is this, that somehow it it moves from us to all the people that need Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you to join me and to join the others that already have, have signed up after the first service and thousands of other churches right now, nationally and internationally, that are going to be part of sending this hope, sending the good news of Jesus Christ. We could be part of something where we could see revival in our land like we've never witnessed ever before. We could have Pentecost day after day, week after week, month after month in our community, in our world. It's an opportunity for you and me to individually take what we've received and give it away. Some of us, though, we've been saved for so long, we don't even know what we've been saved from anymore. Some of us have have had Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, let me ask, when is the last time you passed that hope on verbally? You spoke it out. Like you, you laid in bed at night and said, I can't sleep until that kid hears, that mom hears, that dad hears. When is the last time that you had, you were agitated by the need for those who need hope? Why is it too? Why is it that most Christians really love evangelism when other people are doing it? Why is it, yeah, I'm, I'm glad my church is an evangelistic church. Go, church, go, but I'm not going with you. Why is it that it's easier to cheer someone else on? I'll bring him in Pastor Jim. He'll tell him about Jesus. Why is it that we really enjoy evangelism until we have to personalize it? Why is it that we aren't regularly personalizing evangelism? Remember the Bible, you know, you open up the New Testament, it says that we're called to be evangelists, to to witness, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just like a good idea. That's something that Christ wants us to do. Secondly, can I just say this also about evangelism? 
Let's drop this quote that's like runs through our Christian circles. I've seen it a thousand times. If I haven't seen it a thousand, I've seen it 10,000 times. I've seen it posted on Facebook. I've seen it posted on Twitter. I've seen it posted on church boards. I've seen it people, I've seen people preach it. And it goes something like this. And we say, there's this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. It says this, it says, preach the word and when necessary, use words. Number one, it's not biblical. Number two, he never said it. Why isn't it biblical? It's like saying this. It's like saying, feed the hungry and when necessary, use food. I mean, how can someone preach the gospel without speaking it? It has to be more than living out your faith. I mean, it'd be like this. I'm a procl- I come and proclaim to you today. I'm a preacher. And so it'd be like me walking in on a Sunday morning. Let's come hear Pastor Jim speak today. Let's, let's hear him speak today. So every Sunday morning, you come in. He's going to preach the word today. Praise God. Bring it, Jimmy. Bring it. Bring it, white boy. Bring it. seen a preaching the word. I mean, when I read that, it's like, how in the world could I ever say anything? Love you, some of you would probably like to put some duct tape on me after this message. <laughs> We're supposed to proclaim it. We're supposed to preach it. We're supposed to speak it. We're supposed to say Jim Brown to the front office. You got someone who needs Jesus. Thank you, Spencer. Like, seriously, when you think about that quote, it's like, well, and so here's what happens. We really like that quote because it's like, let's just live Jesus in front of people. Somehow the way we dress and I wore a tie today so I look like a Christian. And it's like, boy, you really look like a Christian. I just want to be like Jesus. I mean, someone has to articulate it. Someone has to speak it. Someone has to tell you. I mean, you can't just look at somebody. It's only part of the gospel. The other part says, be witnesses, share, preach, talk, tell, explain, ask, use words. You see, the problem is this. We need a deeper concern for lost people. And when you have that concern, oh boy, there's no shutting you up. It's like, I just gots to tell you. It's too good to keep here. A long time ago, I received this eternal hope. And guess what? If you're going to be around me a while, I'm going to tell you a few things. The first thing I'm going to tell you, Jesus loves you. And I'm going to tell you another thing. You need Jesus. And I'm going to tell you until you're tired of hearing me tell you, but you won't die and go to hell unless I've told you. And you won't die and go to heaven unless you remember that I did tell you. I won't be the one responsible for never telling you. But how many of us are? But we love evangelism. I'm so glad Grace Community Church loves people and loves God. Hey, let's have an evangelistic crusade. Hey, go get them. (laughs) Don't include me. To be concerned means this. It means to be agitated. It means to be alarmed. It means to be bothered. It means to be derailed. It means to have discomfort. It means to be unsettled. It means to be upset. Let me ask you a personal question. Who's the last person that because of the work of Jesus Christ through you that you had the opportunity to lead to Christ? Who's that last person? How far do you got to go back? 
Who's the last person? Not you did good deeds, because good deeds don't save you. There's only one person who did a good deed, and that was Jesus Christ. Who is the last person that you shared, spoke the good news of Jesus Christ with? Not beat around the bush and not, you know, I go to church and there's a God. No, Jesus saves. He sent, God sent his son to the cross and he loves you. And I just had to tell you because it's radically changed my life and I don't want you to spend your eternity in hell. When's the last time you just had a burden to do that? Let me ask you a question. Should we have a burden for that? Boy, if we call ourselves Christ followers and we don't have a burden for lost people, then we better ask the question, am I a Christ follower? In fact, Paul said it this way. Don't turn there, just listen to this. Paul articulated it this way. Look what he said regarding the, the gospel in Romans 10. J- just listen, just listen. Romans 10, 13 and 14, it says, Paul said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? I mean, haven't you wanted information in your life? I mean, how could you even learn anything if no one ever spoke it to you, explained it to you? I think we'll have people at some point or another, if we don't share, say things like this. Why didn't you ever tell me? Why didn't you just say something? I would have listened. All you had to do was tell me. Why is it so difficult to share about Christ? Have you ever wondered why it seems like, man, we can talk about chicken number sevens at at, at Wendy's and how good that chicken is and that new sauce they have. We can talk about barbecue. We can talk about football. We can talk about belly wraps. We can talk about all kinds of stuff. Like, I have no problem talking. Hey, get that belly wrap. Watch your gut go. I mean, we can talk about it. It's like, imagine that conversation. It's like, but we can't talk about Jesus. Why? let 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 me cue you in why. Because you're opposed. Have you ever thought, do you think you're opposed when you try to sell a belly wrap? You think you're opposed when you try to talk about the the Packers? You might be. You think you're opposed when you try to talk about the Redskins? Do you think you're opposed when you talk about your clothing? Do you think you're opposed when you talk about cars? You think you're opposed? No, devil doesn't care. You can sell all you want, but when you start talking about Jesus, you're going to be opposed. And listen, when you begin to be opposed, you don't retreat because you have the living God inside of you. You advance on. Enough of the excuses. Can we just say, I've talked myself out of evangelism enough. And here's the excuses. Well, my personality. I'm just not like you, Pastor Jim. You know, I'm an introverted processor. Well, take your introverted processing mind and speak. You talk about other stuff, don't you? You see, the reason is because we believe somehow that, that, that the gift of evangelism is only given to a few people and so that somehow we can't share, but yet in the scripture says, do the work of an evangelist. What would happen if no one would ever spoken to you? Where would you be? Evangelism, by the way, is not a presentation, it's a conversation. People ask me all the time, Jimmy, Jimmy, give me, give, me, give, me, give me the program. Give me the one, two, three. Give me the, like the six things I should say. Tell me the questions. Give me the presentation. I say, I just talk to people. Like when you talk about chicken sandwiches at Wendy's, you have like A, B, C, and D. No, you say, man, the, the things are good. And those new fries at Wendy's, oh, man, they're killer good. But don't eat two packs of them. Always go small. Don't go large. It's like, did that take like a formula to say that? 
You just start talking. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Let me give you an example of why it's so important to talk. Suppose you're vacationing in Montana. I don't know why you want to go to Montana, but you're, you're going there. You're going to Montana, and, and, and I'll make it more enjoyable. You're in this mountain region, and you're getting away, and you're there with your three kids, and you're there with your spouse, your husband, or wife. And so one morning you wake up, and it's been a great vacation, and, and your older son, who's 16 or 17, says, hey, I want to take my brother and sister out who are seven and eight. We're going to go for a walk. Do you mind, Mom and Dad, if you can just stay back here, and, 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 uh, and I'll take them for a walk. Do you mind if I do that? What parent in the right mind is not going to say, yeah, go ahead? So they leave, and they go out, leave at eight o'clock, and it's like nine o'clock, and they're still not back. And so if you're a parent, you get a little concerned. 10 o'clock rolls around, they don't come back. You start to get agitated. You started to get unsettled. You start to feel this, this burden for your kids. And so 10.30 rolls around and dad's out saying, I'm going to go look for him. And so you go out and you take your voice. And the first thing you do, if you want to find someone that's lost, is you talk to them. And you yell for them. And you say, hey, where are you at? Hannah, Josh, Isaiah. You go searching because you think they're lost. And so you look and you look and you look and you don't find them. And so you begin to pray, God, help us to find our kids. And, and so the day turns into an afternoon. The afternoon turns into evening. The evening turns into darkness. And all of a sudden you realize your children are lost and they're not back. And as a parent, you're deeply concerned. You're agitated about that. So you began to ask God, like, God, help us find our kids. And you try to put a plan together. And so while you're praying, you get this knock at the door. This person walks up, and there he stands, and he says, hey, I heard that your children are lost. And he says this, hey, um, I, I'd like to pray for you. You mind if I pray for your kids? Yeah, go ahead and pray. While he's standing there, someone else comes up and they look in the door and they got like six or seven people with them and they're coming to the door and they look in and they say, hey, I heard that your kids are lost. Word got down on the bottom of the mountain that your kids are out in the wilderness in the darkness and they're lost. We like to help you. By the way, we are able to get, because we live down in the valley, we can get ATVs, we can get rescue units, we can get four-wheel drive trucks, we can get lights, we can get food, we have enough supplies for a week. We will find your kids. The only thing we need are some resources to purchase all of that. Now let me ask you a question as a father, just a father here and today. Would you not sell the farm to that person and say, you do whatever it takes. And this person said, I will find your lost person, your lost child. All I need is resources. Then it will happen and I will hunt for them. I will make sure that we go high and low and we go wide and deep and we will bring your kids back. We just need the resources to find your kids. Any father in the right mind would say, man, here, we've moved beyond praying to action. Hey, Help me. And so you would go and you would just give them your credit card and you say, run it up, man. I don't care. Run it over. Just do whatever it takes. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God ever looks down on planet earth and sees all these lost people who, who are in the deserts and the valleys and the mountains and they're trying to weave their way through darkness and they're lost? And do you think he ever says, will somebody reach them? 
Will somebody send a rescue unit to help them? Will someone move from their knees to their feet and into action? Do you think this? Do you think God, when he looks down, because the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be witnessing. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be rescuing. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be speaking. Do you think he ever looks down and he looks at churches and he says, I'm going to send my resources to that church. Because that church, I'm going to equip them with leaders. I'm going to equip them with people. I'm going to equip them with finances. I'm going to equip them with skilled people. I'm going to equip them with talented people. Because that church is willing to reach lost people. Do you think he ever looks at churches that never, never would be willing to do whatever it takes to find? Do you think Jesus sends more of his resources here as a father who loves? Or would he send his resources here knowing this group would never look for lost people? I think he does. Why why would you waste your money and give it to people that you know they're not going to go look for your lost kids? Here's my hope. My hope with all of my heart. My hope is this, when Jesus Christ looks down on the church of Grace Community Church, he said, that church will do anything. That church, they'll go to Asia, they'll go to Africa, they'll go to Middlebury, they'll go to Warsaw, they'll go to LaGrange County, they'll go to St. Joe County. You know what? And I'm going to resource them. I'm going to give them the tools, the people, the finances, so that they will reach my lost people. My prayer is that when Jesus looks at the Church of Grace community and says, I will do whatever it takes to resource you. My hope is that is the case. Because, rhetorical question, do you think God looks down and says, I'm not going to help that church because they're not willing to reach my lost people? If he does resource those who look after lost people, please, God, may we be that church. (laughs) You see, a holy concern says this. It just can't end like this. Let me give you an example why it can't end like this. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Look at Luke chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just follow along as I read it. Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 19. Jesus is having this conversation, and he's giving those that are listening an opportunity to listen. Look what he says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. There was a what kind of man, what's it say? Who was dressed in what? And fine linen and lived in what kind every day? At his gate was laid a beggar named what? Covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now that's destitute. You're lying at this gate. Jesus is giving this story. You're so sick. You're so much a beggar that you even let the dogs, the only friend you have is a dog and he's licking your sores. I mean, it's the, the bottom of the rung. It's, it's as destitute as destitute can be. Then it says this in verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, paradise, which eventually is heaven. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, which eventually is thrown into hell. So you have Hades, 
which is the, 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 the residing place of those who will eventually be thrown into hell. And you have paradise, Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, that eventually gets tossed into heaven. So you have eternity of death and eternity of life. Then it says this, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, please have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his what? In what? And cool my what? Because I am in what? In this what? So picture, Jesus paints this picture of of what we would know as Sheol or Hades. You have the righteous side and you have the wicked side. The righteous side gets dumped into heaven. The wicked side, which is a temporary holding place, it's just like hell, eventually gets thrown into the lake of fire. So, and then it says that Lazarus, the beggar, is in the righteous side, and the rich man is in the wicked side of Hades, which eventually is hell. And then it says this, he says in verse 25, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone from over from there come to us. It's the picture. He's saying there's this great chasm that we can't like leave Hades or leave the righteous side and go to Hades, nor would you want to, nor can you leave Hades, which eventually is hell, and enter into paradise, Abraham's bosom, which turns into heaven. You can't do it. There are no second chances. Yet this rich man saying, just give me one drip of water. Oh, if you could just touch my tongue, he's in so much agony. All he wants is just one drop to squeeze on his tongue. Then it says this in verse 27, he answered, then if that can't happen, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my what? Look at verse 28. For I have five brothers. Let him do what with them? So that they will not also come to this place of what? Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Jesus said, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What I want to drive home is this today. Here is a man that's in hell. He's in agony. He's got compassion for lost people. Seriously. I got to ask this question. Do we have any more compassion than a man that's already in hell? We're saved. He is agitated. He's concerned, and he said it in Hades, worrying about his lost family. He is unsettled. He's, he's not comfortable, and he's trying to beg someone to go save their soul. When's the last time you had that kind of agitation for people while you're still alive? Just for your information, by the way, Every 1.8 seconds in our world, someone dies and goes to hell. So, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Five people just died and went to hell. Are you bothered? Does that like bother? What? Or you just felt so unattached from that? It's like, well, I'm just glad it wasn't me. 
Do you realize that uh, roughly the 7 billion people in our world, 5.4 billion people are lost? Do you realize if you took 5.4 or 5.6 billion people and you put them back to back and you formed a line, the line would be 50,000 miles long and you could go around the globe twice with lost people, just completely around the world, back to back, two solid lines of lost people in our world. Do you realize that that, that number grows one mile each day? Do you realize this, that by the time you Get born again. Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you realize from the moment when, when you walk from death to life and you trust in Jesus Christ, do you realize in the first year you'll share with someone, you'll witness with someone in the teens, 13, 14, 15 times. You're so excited about Jesus. You want them to have what you have. Do you realize by the time that you're seven years old, seven years old, you're like in third grade, second and third grade. Do you realize by the time you're seven years old as a Christian, you know how many times you share and witness? Zero. So what in the world has happened from that point to that point? Seriously, ask yourself. How many times do you regularly share the gospel, not just live it out, but verbally share with someone? Do you realize in Elkhart County, there are 150 thousand people. Now wrap your mind around that. 150,000 people in Elkhart County who are call themselves unchurched. Do you realize that right now, while you sit here, 150,000 people are at home watching NFL today or home and garden or whatever. Does that bother you at all? Like at all, does it like, does it like bother you enough to say, I want to do something about it. 150. Do you realize that in St. Joe County, we have people that live in St. Joe County, that there are 200,000 unchurched people? Do you realize in Elkhart County alone, there are almost 250 churches? And there's 150,000 unchurched people in Elkhart. Yeah, Goshen, Elkhart, New Paris. Just wrap your mind around that for a second. That never enter the doors of a church on a Sunday morning. Is the harvest ripe? You bet it is. You see, passion for law stems from being disturbed about something. I'm afraid we get more riled up about potholes, dandelions, and targeting calls in football games than we do about lost people. I'm afraid that we're more concerned about playing time for our kids on sports teams and gas prices and some, than someone dying and going to hell. Let me say it this way. Jesus went through way too much for us not to be concerned about lost people. We are more concerned about our creature comfort, our retirement, our IRAs, than of the potential in someone in this room sitting maybe right next to you that doesn't know Jesus. Do you realize that there might be someone right beside you right now that doesn't know Jesus? By the way, if you don't, Jesus loved you. So much that he gave his life for you. So much that there's this free gift called salvation. So much that you don't have to clean your life up at all. You can come to him as dirty, as sinful. You don't have to make up for all the message. He'll do that for you. And do you realize that it's a free gift that you don't have to earn it? And do you realize this, that once he comes, he promises never to leave you or forsake you? Do you realize you'll never have to go another day of your life without loneliness? That Jesus can be the hope of your life and you will have a God that will be with you the rest of your life. Listen, that's the God that saved me. It's not rocket science, Grace. 
It's speaking. Let me just say it this way, plain and simple. Something's wrong with this picture. The greatest gift that you could ever give a classmate, the greatest gift you could ever give a dorm mate, the greatest gift that you could ever give a coworker on the assembly line, the greatest gift that you could ever give one, one, someone is Jesus Christ. Please, it's not good news unless you share it. You know, we treat the good news like we do the Goshen news. We read it and we throw it away. Paul understood this when he said this in Romans. Look at Romans chapter nine. Just look at verses one and two. He understood this. Paul said this in Romans one, nine, one, two, and three. He said this. Paul said in Romans nine, one, two, and three, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Then he said this. I have great what? An unceasing what? In my what? For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. You talk about a concern. Paul is literally saying this. If it means you cut me off from Christ and I lose my salvation so that my family can come to Christ, then so be it. Now listen, that is a concern. Where has our passion gone for the loss? What might happen if it got renewed, by the way? Answer that question. Who's the last person you led to Christ by God's grace? What if no one told you about Jesus Christ? You know, it's easy for us to knock on the doors and send our kids to someone's house with booster cards so that our kids can have this new outfit or this new uniform and, and so that football teams can have I mean, we can send people to doors for booster cards for pizza and poinsettias. We ask people to sponsor our miles that we log and the laps that we swim. We market nutrition, real estate, automobiles, and belly wraps. What about Jesus? Concern for the loss says, I will not retreat until it's fixed. By the way, I'm pretty excited about this because my church, that God has allowed me to lead you, you love lost people. <laughs> and, and so I began thinking this week, we can do this. We can, as a church, go on mission for four weeks and make it a lifetime mission. But what would happen if everyone said, not on my watch, what, if, what would happen if we said, you know what, during this Thanksgiving season, during the next three to four weeks, I'm going to be a vocal witness. What would happen if we said, I don't care if I'm opposed. What would happen if we just had a holy boldness for lost people? What would happen if you and I and all those sitting beside you say, we're going to reach Elkhart County for Jesus Christ. Listen, know what happened? These walls couldn't contain because people would flock to this place and they would find Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 20 and verse 9 said it this way. Just listen to this. I love his passion. He said this, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. I fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. 
You see, I know some of you. You've told me your stories. Your children have moved on. They're in other states, and you've been praying as a mom and a father. Please, Lord, send someone around them that will just tell them about Jesus and bring them back. Please send someone around them that will, that will love on them. Please send someone near them. My kids, they're far from God. And listen to me. While you're praying that, some other mom and dad and some other brother and some other sister and some other grandpa and some other grandma and some other cousin is praying for their friend in Elkhart County, and they're saying, please, Send someone that cares enough about Jesus to speak about the good news of Jesus. We could be those people. Does that excite you at all, by the way? We could. Listen, not just everyone else, but we, you, me, we could be those people. Part of the lies that we believe is that somehow we think we fail if we share the good news and someone doesn't come to Christ. Think about that for a second. Evangelism stats say this. A person comes to Christ after 7.5 contacts. Like, wouldn't you like to be like the 0.5 of this after the seven? It's like you said, Jesus, ah, I'll be saved. <laughs> I mean, just got it out. How would you know unless you do it? How would you know unless you shared Listen, it's not a failure if you share and they don't respond. I can tell you time and time again, this is just being very personal. Ann and I, we, we, we get with people, and, and, and I can give you an example. It's like she had a burden. I mean, my wife has a burden for lost people. and She had a burden for one of our neighbor girls, and she was praying for her. She's on the list, and, and every time she saw her, she was sharing, and she was just like, I want to see her come to Christ. I want to see her come to Christ. She would share, and she'd be so burden when she wouldn't respond. And so one day we're out in the garage and I went up to her and I said, hey, Brianna, you know Jesus? And hey, would you like to get saved? Sure. And she's like, Jim, that's just not fair. <laughs> but I told her this. I said, hey, honey, if you hadn't planted the seed the 700 times before, her heart would have never been ripe to receive it that time. You see, it's not failure if someone doesn't respond. It's failure when you don't talk. What if this happened to you? Listen to this poem called My Friend. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walk with you day by day and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell me the story. My knowledge was dim you could have led me straight to him. Though we lived together on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand condemned this day because of what you failed to say. You taught me many things that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. Now I learn it's too late, but you could have saved me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and die, though you knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and laughed with you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to the end, I cannot call you my friend. You see, removing ourselves from the will of God undermines, removing ourselves from doing this undermines the will of God. 
A concern for the law says, I know this is the way Jesus would want it to be done. Do you realize in Acts chapter 1 and verses 7 to 8, Jesus is leaving. It's after he was resurrected. It was after he was spending time on earth. And so he's having this final conversation with, with, with his disciples. And so basically, they're at the end. He could have said anything. And they get to the end of his life. And so his disciples say, basically they said, Jesus, when are you coming back? Tell us the future of Israel so that we know when you're coming back. Jesus could have taken a detailed moment and said, hey, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. He could have said anything. Imagine your last words to the loved ones that you've spent time with before you go and, and ascend to heaven. Imagine what conversation you might have. So they're asking about soteriology. They're asking about future events. You know what Jesus' response was? Go and be witnesses. His final response was evangelism. At the heart of our God is a father who loves lost children. So much is discussed today about being Christ followers. In fact, so much is talked about what disciples should look like. And I've been in a discussion. People say, well, how do you know, Pastor Jim, that, that that's what a disciple is? Okay, how do you have fully devoted followers of Christ? What does a fully devoted follower of Christ look, with, look like? It's a, it's a good discussion to ask as you try to create them. And so I've been asked that question over, and I ask our staff, and we talk about it. Well, I think Jesus summed it all up. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 4. Here's what a fully devoted follower of Christ is. Matthew chapter 4, look what Jesus says in verse 18 and 19. Jesus is calling his first disciples. In other words, I want you to be followers of me. These were people of the way. So he's calling them, saying he needed disciples. And so this is Jesus calling his first disciples. So he knew what discipleship should look like. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were what? Jesus said to them, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for what? So think about it. I mean, <laughs> discipleship. Jesus, his first response was, hey, fishermen, if you want to follow me, then here's, here's what you got to do. You got to go fishing. So basically it's this. If you're not fishing, then you're not following. So people ask me, what's a disciple of Christ look like? And I say this, they better be fishing because they're not following. Oh, but Pastor Jim, I need to know like the, the Ten Commandments deeper and I need to know all the feasts and I need to know all the tabernacles and I need to know all the gold that built the corner of it and I need to know this and I, yes, you need to know that. But there comes a point where you move from the need to know to the need to share. And the need to share says I become a fisherman. So this is it. Quite frankly, listen to me. Jesus would say this to you today because this is what it says. If you're not fishing, then you're not a follower of Christ. Many have said to me, Jim, I don't know what to say or what happens when I don't have the answer to the questions. And I say, you know what Luke 12, 12 says? It says, ask the Holy Spirit and he'll speak for you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is not measured by the grain in the barn, but, but, but by the wheat in the field. You know, right now it's harvest time. You know, you, you'll see people cutting corn and it's a great time of the year. I love watching corn getting harvested. And every time I ride by, I think, boy, that's a great harvest. But what if farmers never went and picked the harvest? What if they just kept it in the field? What if, what if they never went to it and said, hey, it's ripe. 
And by the way, when I look at a harvest thing, I'm so glad that they picked the corn so that the deer, I can see them more freely. But, so when I think about it, it's like, there's two good things out of this. The harvest is plentiful. Listen, 150,000 stalks of corn live in Elkhart County, ready to be plucked, ready to be picked. All we have to do is take the tractor of the good news of Jesus Christ and do some clipping. Enough said on this, but let me just wrap this up by saying this. We got work to do. Hell is hot. Forever is a long time. And it's our turn to stop making a dent and start making a difference. Here's the good news. We can. And I am so juiced up about this because I know that you can do it too. Grace Community, whenever we, 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 put this, we, we put a cause out there or a plea out there, my church always jumps on it and praise God for you. Like when you see a cause, now I can't think of no greater cause than, than someone needing Christ. And so when we put this out there, I'm so excited because I know you're going to say, I want to be part of that. So over the next four weeks, we're going to give you that opportunity. It's going to be a personal evangelism crusade that you're going to have joining thousands of other churches across America, internationally and nationally. And here's what it is. Billy Graham had his last crusade. It was on Thursday night. It's a message about the cross. And by the way, it is a phenomenal message. And so here it is. You'll be able to take this message that we have ordered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds on a DVD. You'll be able to sign up for training Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then once you signed up for training, you're going to invite someone back into your house. And maybe it's this way. You say, well, I just feel like I'm baiting and switching them and switching and baiting Maybe you go to your person that say that's far from God, say, hey, you know I go to church. You've watched me, you know that I love God, and, and I, I, I wanna show you why I love God, okay? Would you just give me 28 minutes? Come to my house, I'll feed you, I won't pressure you, but I believe that, that this person can say better what I've been trying to live out in front of you, been trying to say to you for, for 10 years, and I want you to come, would you just, when you press play on this DVD and they get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It also happens over the Thanksgiving season. Many of you will be traveling to families, and many of you have family, which is sometimes the hardest to share with. This is your opportunity to have dad and mom and aunt and uncle and weird owl. It's your chance to say, plug it in, baby. Jesus, do your work. Save weird owl. So we're going on mission for the next four weeks. Let me show you what this could look like. Take a look at this video. All of mankind is crying. What must we do to be saved? Please save us economically. Save us. Families are concerned whether they can make it or not. We have tremendous deficits. Save us from terrorism and lawlessness. Crime, it seems to be everywhere. What must we do to be saved? Save us. People are lost without Christ. Do you see people every day separated from God with empty hearts searching for something they don't know what it is? That ought to give us a new urgency. Our love for others is not just an emotional feeling. It is a concern which leads us to action. words of Jesus challenged me as never before. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're already white under harvest. I'm 
convinced that the greatest act of love we can ever perform for another person is to tell him about God's love for him in Christ. One message, Christ and him crucified and risen again. your chance. I'm really excited about this because I know all of you have family members and friends that for some reason or another, whether you've just chickened out, said, well, my personality is kind of an introverted person. Listen, it has nothing to do with personality. Introverted people can lead people to Christ because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is your chance to say, I'm going to sign up for a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday training session, 45 minutes long. We have them from 9 a.m. in the morning, clean till the evening, Monday and Tuesday, Wednesdays during the day. It's your chance to say, I'm going to represent my home for Jesus Christ. It's your chance to say, I know someone. If I don't know someone, Holy Spirit, bring someone to mind. It's your chance over the next three weeks to invite someone into your house, play this incredible story about the cross that was shown Thursday night on national television, and then it's your chance to be trained and equipped for 45 minutes to present the gospel. At the end of this time, December the 1st, at the end of this four-week message, I'm going to give an evangelistic message on December the 1st that you can invite other people back to, and they will hear the gospel explained in a simple way. It's a chance for them to hear the message of of Jesus Christ and to respond in truth. What would happen if you said today, before you leave, I'm taking it to my dorm at college. I'm taking it to, as a single to my house and I'm inviting someone. I'm gonna show it at Thanksgiving with family members that are far from God and it's been difficult. I'm gonna invite my neighbor across the street who just moved in. I'm gonna invite someone that I work with and I'm gonna feed them and I'm gonna tell them about God. What would happen? The average home that shows this DVD has seen a two- Point two people respond to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what will happen. You'll be standing on the balcony in the next couple of weeks because people far from God are going to want to know more about Jesus because you spread the good news to them. So as you leave today, please, the only way you can be part of this, don't come Monday, don't dow the church on Monday, don't dow it on either you want it or you don't want to lead people to Christ. It's that simple. Either you do or you don't. And the Bible says this, if you're not fishing, guess what? You're not following. By the way, don't you dare not think that Jesus won't resource you and give you power like you've never experienced before. So as you leave today, at the North Foyer, there's a table set up. In the West Foyer, there's a table set up. Outside the link, there's tables set up. Up in Kid City, when you pick your kids up, there's tables set up. There are training sessions that you sign up for. You spend 45 minutes. You get trained and equipped with information. You get a DVD, and then you take it home. We're creating a web page, a Facebook page, closed Facebook page for my hope, for anyone who's part of my hope, where you can go put prayer requests. I'm praying. Would you pray that I could reach this person? And we are going to pray about it. We are going to do it. And by God's grace, our hope is that thousands come to Jesus Christ. Anybody want to be part of that? Let me close by saying this. Fathers, you lead the way. Dads, you sign up your home if you're married. 
Don't send your wife. You are the gatekeeper. You are the protector. You are the provider. You are supposed to be the spiritual head. It's your chance to man up and say, on my watch, I am going to help my family win people to Christ. And listen to me. God is going to help you. So, don't balk away and say, you know, I've never done that before. Oh, I wish this was a men group. I'd say something else. But listen, just, just stand up and lead your family. Jesus, help us, please. This is your heart, Jesus. This is an awesome opportunity. It's, it could be the greatest revival we've ever seen in Elkhart County. Jesus, This is for your glory. It's not for man. It's not for grace. It's not for other churches. We want to exalt you because you deserve greater glory. I pray that men would run to these tables and they would sign up. I pray that singles would run to these tables. I pray that college students would run to these tables and they would find someone in their community to invite. Lord, may we see a revival like we've never seen before. And Lord, I pray when the enemy comes and opposes and there's all hell breaks loose at home and our vehicles break down and the refrigerators stop working and the freezers stop working and we have rotten meat and, and marriages where husbands and wives find the things they don't like about each other again. I pray, God, that eventually, immediately, that we would recognize this is of the enemy and we walk through it and say, uh-uh, Satan, you're not winning this time. I pray, God, for strong warriors, men and women of Jesus Christ who stand boldly in the enemy's face and saying, hey, I'm getting a soul that you're not getting. Guide us, lead us, instruct us, and may we see thousands come to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. God bless you.